In just a few moments, we'll open up God's Word, the text on which this morning's sermon is based. First, we're going to sing stanza one of Speak, O Lord, and there's a method to the madness this morning. We first want to sit under God's Word. We need Him to speak through Scripture. And then on the other side of the sermon, having been addressed by Him, we want His Word to shape our words, His words to get inside us, to rearrange what we want, to re-script how we talk to one another. And so we'll close with the remainder of the song on the other side, but let's first ask the Lord to speak. Let's sing together. weeks ago, I preached from Proverbs chapter 9. Some of you may remember we were together a few Sunday evenings ago, and we unpacked chapter 9. But as we said then, it's really the culmination, because in verses, chapters 1 through 8, a father is on a walk with his son. He's getting this young boy ready to be launched into life And the father knows it's a dangerous world out there, and so they go for a walk down a path. And chapters 1 through 8 are punctuated by ten fatherly talks. Listen, my son. My son, pay very close attention to what I'm telling you. My son, hold fast to what I say. And then we come to chapter 9, and we hear the climactic conclusion of the Father's counsel, and He brings us to a fork in the road. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and verses 13 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. 
She has sent out her young women to call from the highest place in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse 13 and following. Contrast. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest place of the, of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Two competing counselors, woman wisdom, dame folly, bidding for the allegiance of my heart and your heart. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the unfolding of Your words would give light, but not simply clarity, but also conviction and comfort that You would change how we talk to one another. We wish to grow up into the image of our Lord Jesus. Teach us that communicable attribute of Jesus. Teach us to speak with wise words that bring life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're on this walk, and we're at the fork in the road. Two competing counselors, woman wisdom, dame folly. The same invitation, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And you and I are the son who must decide between the two. And this, just by way of review, building on what we've said over the last few weeks, we've said that these two women signify two very important realities. The key that unlocks the meaning of the text is the location of the houses. Lady Wisdom calls from the highest places in the town, verse 3. On the other hand, Dame Folly takes her seat and she calls out on the highest places of the town, verse 14. In the ancient Near East, the highest point of the city was the home of the gods, the location of the temple. And so here's the fork in the road. Lady Wisdom 
a poetic personification of the true and living God who counsels you, and embracing her leads to life. On the other hand, Dame Folly, a poetic personification of the false gods of the nations who counsel you, and embracing her will surely lead to death. And we've been tracing this theme from the book of Proverbs into the New Testament, where wisdom comes to full expression in the person and work of Jesus. Isaiah, standing on tiptoe, looking down the corridors of time, can see the Messiah. And he writes, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11. And Luke, the gospel writer, sees the promise of Isaiah finding fulfillment in his day. Luke chapter 2, the child grew, Jesus. He became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And Jesus himself interpreted his identity in his messianic activity through the biblical lens of wisdom, the lens of proverbial wisdom to the unbelieving crowds. He rebuked them. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone greater than Solomon is in your midst." And to the critics who sized him up wrongly, Jesus replied, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The Apostle Paul understands the person and work of Jesus through the lens of wisdom, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians 30, chapter 1, verse 30. And Colossians chapter 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as we said last week, so we emphasize again this morning, the rest of the book of Proverbs speaks to a variety of seemingly mundane matters of life, especially our words, but our words are anything but mundane. Yes, ordinary, and yet extraordinary. How we speak to one another reveals whether we are dining with woman wisdom, that is Jesus, Christ our wisdom, or whether we are dining with Dame Folly, that is the devil. And so last week, we focused on foolish words spoken in the image of the devil, words that deceive, words that divide, the arguing, 
the quarreling, words that demean, words that insult, slander, flatter, boast. Did this happen to you this past week? I encourage you to ask yourself a few questions that expose the foolish words that we speak. Did this happen to you? I noticed, Cindy and I noticed throughout the week, I would say something, and she would say to me, you better write that in your journal. That's part of your homework this week. And then she would say something, and I would jokingly, lovingly say, put that down in your journal. (laughs) Did it happen to you? Change begins when you slow down. The Spirit has an opportunity to wake us up when we slow down and are intentional about our sanctification. That was last week, and I trust you've become more wakeful to the foolish words that come out of your mouth, but this morning we focus on wise words spoken in the image of Jesus. Let's learn to talk like Jesus with such flexibility, with such variety, with such skill. Here's where we're going. First of all, the vision set before us. Secondly, the methods that get us there. First of all, the vision set before us. As last Sunday, so this Sunday, we'll be looking at selected Proverbs that, that, that are spinning out of the wisdom revealed in Proverbs chapter 9. The vision set before us, first of all, the message, Proverbs 25, verse 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Good news. Good news. It's a phrase that distinguishes the Christian message from other religions in the world. It's the evangel. It was news of a great historical event that changed a person's world and requires a person's response a victory in war, the ascension of a new king, the evangelist comes running from the far country and says to God's people, He reigns. And so the good news is, first of all, not instruction about what you must do. It's, first of all, the good news about God what He has done for us in Christ. And so we open up our Bibles this morning and we read of this good news. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, but into this world God sent forth His Son. And on Friday God gave His Son over to death, but on Sunday God raised Him from the dead, but not as a private individual but as the man for others, because God has established a bond between Jesus and His people. As goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. This is very good news for us. 
This good news of what God has done for us in Christ is like cold water to a thirsty soul. That's the message. Here's the messenger. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You remember in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter stands up to interpret what is happening in their midst. And Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. And exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out the Spirit among His people. You who now see and hear, why the Spirit poured out so that you and I might become His witnesses here and to the ends of the earth, not only to those outside the church, but also to us inside the church. I want you to notice this. This is very important. As you read the New Testament, note the way that the Word of God becomes a river that runs through the church and beyond the church. Note this holy spiritual dynamic. On the one hand, there is the publicly proclaimed word on Sunday, very important. It's the spearhead of the conversation. But on the other hand, every day we wake up and we give ourselves to the privately pursued word. The publicly proclaimed word, the privately pursued word, but notice this holy spiritual dynamic. I love the way my professor David Pallison puts it. The publicly proclaimed word and the privately pursued word are intended to become the interpersonally conversed word. Scripture everywhere describes this vision. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Conversation that builds up. Hebrews chapter 3, encourage one another as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews chapter 10, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Some of you may recognize the name Scotty Smith. He's a former pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. He's also a graduate from the University of North Carolina. And so Cindy and I are always reading the blog that he posts daily on Gospel Coalition. A few days ago, this was his post, Exponential Encouragers. Here's his prayer. You want to be encouraged? Let Scotty Smith's prayers minister to you. Lord Jesus, this is surprising, ponder worthy, and, well, encouraging. 
With a view to your second coming, the main thing the Scriptures command us to do increasingly is to encourage each other. Exponential encouragers. That's what we're called to be. Not flatterers, which is just manipulation dressed up in a smile and party dress. Not fear mongers and worry warts projecting our anxieties and a spirit of Eeyore onto each other, not free-roaming commentators offering our opinions, judgments, and wisdom about all things, and certainly not the roadside assistance crew that nobody called fixing people rather than loving people, rather encouragers those committed to build each other up and catch each other doing something right, listening with the heart of our Father, speaking your kind of body language, Jesus, and offering words seasoned with grace, bringing the Spirit's healing. Jesus, help us see the day approaching with greater clarity and joy than ever before. Fill our heart nostrils with the fragrance of the new creation world. Before long, all things will be made new and beautiful. That day is a lot closer than we realize. Until then, free us to worship, work, and play as unto you. Grant us quick repentances when we underbelieve the gospel and overbelieve everything else. So very amen we pray. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Have you noticed? All the great cities are built alongside a river. Down south where my son Nathan lives in Atlanta, the Chattahoochee River runs through the great city. Chicago, the Chicago River, a river runs through it. Grand Rapids, the Grand River runs through it. The church is the city of God, and there is a river that makes glad the people of God. Yes, there's public proclamation on Sunday. And yes, there's private meditation early in the morning when each of us begin our day. But do you see how the public proclamation and the private meditation is designed to create a river of daily relational redemptive conversation? We tend to think that ministry happens in the formal, structured settings like Sunday worship and Bible study. All very important. It all begins there. But we tend to think of relationship as something that we do in the casual, unstructured settings like daily conversation. But the Scriptures teach us that God places a premium on our daily conversations. God intends for my tongue, and God intends for your tongue to be an instrument, His instrument, that brings life to your neighbor. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, verse 18, the words of the reckless 
pierced like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Harvest Church excelled still more and you would ask the visitor, the one who is exploring Christianity, what is it about Harvest Church that you find so attractive and helpful? And she would say, I was fed on Sunday, but the rest of the week I enjoyed life-giving conversations by her members. I knew they cared about me. They took time to speak to me, words that build up instead of words that tear down. For such a time of this, all the talk in the world that people are Twittering and Facebooking and spouting and tearing one another down, God has designed the church of Jesus Christ to be an instrument in His hand to bring life by the words that we speak. Wise words. It's the vision that is set before us. Now, what about the methods? How are we going to get there? Let me offer three. By listening carefully. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. It all begins by listening carefully in two directions. First of all, to the Word of God. Because it is in the Scriptures that the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so we listen to what He says. Now, I won't linger there because we Presbyterians are especially skilled at listening to the Scriptures. But we are not equally adept at listening to the heart of our neighbor. And our goal is to connect the riches of Christ to the realities of this sister's life, this brother's circumstances. And so we not only listen carefully to the Word of God, but we also listen carefully to the heart of our neighbor. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 puts it this way, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You see, a person of understanding is a person who has learned to draw out their neighbor with good questions. But here's the problem. We assume that we already know our neighbor, and so we don't ask questions. And the result is the person that we speak to is the person who only exists in our imagination, not the real person who is sitting in front of us because we haven't taken the time to get to know what's on their heart. 
So if you ask someone, how's it going? Well, you're more likely to get them to reveal themselves in a superficial way. But if you ask questions that lovingly, gently probe the heart, then you're more likely to get to know that person in a far deeper way. When do you become anxious? Where have you struggled with disappointment? And what specific situations do you get tempted to anger? What sort of problems do you encounter in relationships? What sort of things do you regularly avoid? When do you tend to doubt that what God says is true? What's your definition of a good relationship? I would love to know. Where do you struggle with bitterness? Where do you get tripped up and trapped? Where do you struggle with regret? May I ask, what sorts of things in your past are really hard for you to let go? You build a relationship and you win the right to ask questions like that in a trusting relationship. You will get to know that person in a much deeper way. And then ministry begins to sing because you've listened carefully to the Word of God. You've listened carefully to the heart of your neighbor. And now you're poised to connect the riches of Christ to the realities of her life. And I love to have a front row seat, and you can too. Our methods begin by listening carefully. Secondly, our methods continue by thinking biblically. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. Now remember, all of this is what it looks like to grow up into the image of Jesus, the one who is wisdom incarnate. This is how he listens, and this is how he thinks. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. To ponder is to think very carefully to learn to see from God's point of view, to grow in discernment and to connect the dots. So, ponder this, should I even speak? Proverbs gives all kinds of wisdom. Chapter 10, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 17, verse 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. 
So we ponder, should I even speak into this? And we ponder this, what kind of person am I talking to? It's a strange couple of verses in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. On the one hand, it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. But then in the next verse it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Is this a contradiction? Absolutely not. The key to understanding the two verses is this. What kind of person am I talking to? Is it a teachable person? Then let's have a conversation. But if the person is closed and a scoffer, it would be foolish to engage in that conversation. So ponder, ponder this. What kind of moment is this? Has this ever happened to you? Proverbs 25, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. The folly of thoughtlessness. And there's just a disconnect. But there's the wisdom of thoughtfulness where we make the connection. We ponder the moment. Proverbs 25 verse 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. The shoe fits. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Proverbs 15. We listen carefully. We think biblically. And finally, we speak redemptively. Scripture reveals how God speaks to us from three perspectives. Have you noticed in Scripture He speaks to you as a saint in Christ Jesus because He has begun a good work in you and He will be faithful to complete what He started. So He speaks to you as a saint in Christ Jesus, but He also speaks to you as a sufferer because He knows that evil things have happened to you. You woke up in a fallen world and people sin against you. Hard things happen to you. And so your Savior speaks words of consolation. But He also speaks to you as a sinner because He's not finished with His good work yet. He knows we get entangled and tripped up and trapped by our sin. And so He lovingly speaks to us as people in need of loving challenge and confrontation. And if this is how God speaks to us in Christ, the Proverbs teach us to speak to one another in the same way. We speak to one another as saints in Christ Jesus in need of affirmation. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body, Proverbs 16. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense, Proverbs 27, verse 9. So look for the good. Catch them doing something good, fathers. Look for the good 
And when you see it, you become your child's most enthusiastic cheerleader. You speak the good, words of affirmation. But we're also sufferers in need of consolation. Proverbs 12, verse 25, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Proverbs 15, verse 4, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And so we're on the lookout for the hard. Where do we see hard things happening to our brother and sister. We look for it, and we speak into it. Consolation for the sufferer. And of course, our deepest problem is that we are sinners in need of loving confrontation. Proverbs 24, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Proverbs 27, verse 5, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Proverbs 3, verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. So we look for the good, we look for the hard, but we're also sensitive to and on the lookout for the bad. And when we see it, we lovingly speak into it a word of loving challenge. It's all redemptive. By the way, I have found, and I think you will too, that if we do a really good job of seeing and speaking to the good and seeing and speaking to the hard, people will trust us and they will open up their lives and allow us to see and to speak into the bad. Well, It's the vision that's set before us. It's the methods that get us there. Last week, I asked you to pick one person. One person that you talk regularly to, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, maybe a church member. And I ask you to prayerfully reflect on the way that you speak to that person by journaling your answers to those four questions that expose foolish words. What were you facing? What were you saying? What were you wanting? And what was the ripple effect that impacted those around you? It's the vicious downward spiral of folly. But God is growing by His Word and Spirit an upward, gracious circle of wisdom. So consider your Redeemer. Everywhere in Scripture, God is revealed as the one who enters into your world and turns your life upside down and inside out to change how you speak and what you live for. So who is He for you in Christ? Where do you need His pardon? Where exactly do you need His power? Another question. The Spirit works by and with His Word to renew your heart, to return to God in dependent faith. So have an honest conversation. Go to Him and tell Him, I am so grieved that I am living for myself, that I am imaging Dame Folly by the way that I talk to the people I care about. 
would you change what I'm living for so that you can change how I speak to others? And He works by His Spirit to give you new desires, and the desires of the Spirit produce the fruit of the Spirit. And out of a heart ruled by the Spirit, the mouth speaks words that build up. And so, as you receive God's transforming power, how will you talk to your neighbor this week differently? And last question to consider, what ripple effect, what wonderful consequences would speaking in a new way set in motion? Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that there is an alternative to speaking words that tear down. We can actually speak words that build up. We can actually obey by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may give grace to those who hear. We want to dine with Jesus. We want to get to know Him. And in getting to know Him, we are changed by Him into His likeness, right down to the very words that come out of our mouth. Help us put off the foolish words. Help us by your Spirit put on the wise words. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we conclude that song with which we began. Now that the Lord has spoken to us, we can expect that to change the way that we speak. Let's sing together. Mm -hmm.